Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Corey Allen, and this is the Overton Report. On today's show, we've got a couple of interviews that we did over the week. The first one is with State Representative Josiah Magnuson, and the other is with one of the founders of the American Heritage Association, Brett Barry. They're both doing some extraordinary work when it comes to the, the battle, the culture war to save the United States and maintain our sovereignty uh, as well as our standing in the world. So first about my conversation with Josiah. He has a new bill that really we need a, a, a massive groundswell in order to uh, ensure its passage into law. Now, it won't be until the next legislative session next year when this bill can actually come to the floor, but it is extremely important for the sovereignty of the United States of America. The bill number is H4246. Uh, as it stands right now, you can go to South Carolina's state legislature website or use the app and look it up there. But let me give you a little background before we get into this interview with Representative Josiah Magnuson. We all know what happened uh, during COVID. We, we saw insane, tyrannical things going on all over the United States, but there's no question that in other parts of the world, the the clampdown on the citizenry was even more egregious. In China, they were welding people into their homes. In Australia, they were putting people in literal camps, tracking their phones, arresting them for planning protests. Uh, in New Zealand, nobody could get on or off the uh, the island, unless, of course, you were an elitist or a part of the elite or you were traveling to Davos, Switzerland on a private jet in order to uh, <laughs> rail against climate change or something like that. So what's going on now is uh, the World Health Organization and the United Nations, they saw some of what they consider to be flaws in the way that they weren't able to, to lock down that type of control in many parts of the United States. So they've put together... At a, at a world convention in February of this past year, they they put together a treaty for pandemic readiness. Joe Biden will be signing this and it will be implemented in 2024, but he has no intention of putting this treaty forward to the Congress to have them ratify it, which our Constitution requires. So this bill will be one of the tools in South Carolina's toolbox if we can get it passed, that will stop our state from taking part in this unratified treaty that uh, Joe Biden wishes to use the stroke of his executive pen to implement on, on the people. Now, this uh, this treaty on, on pandemic readiness, as they say, uh, it's going to govern how nations can respond to whatever the WHO deems uh, a health crisis, like the way that they're calling climate change a health crisis. It will allow these international bureaucracies to just run roughshod over 
the sovereignty of the United States. They'll be able to close our borders. They'll be able to put us in camps. They'll be able to utilize American law enforcement and uh, bureaucracies and other organizations in the United States, NGOs, uh, to stop you from being able to travel state to state or to put you in camps or any, you know, name the egregious tyrannical move. This treaty, so-called, that Joe Biden promises us he will be making the United States a part of without the ratification of Congress, it's 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 a it's a bad deal. And we really are gonna need to do everything we can to stop it. Otherwise the sovereignty of the United States is lost entirely. And that's not hyperbole. That is exactly what the goal of this treaty is. This this is what the WHO claims the goal of this treaty is. So anyway, enjoy this uh, interview and, and discussion that, that we had with, with Josiah Magnuson, and uh, let's get started. Hey guys, Corey Allen here, of course, and I'm joined by, uh, joined by Josiah Magnuson, uh, state house rep, one of the most conservative in the state, uh, member of the Freedom Caucus, and we're here to talk about a, a particular bill. First, I want to say, how are you doing, Josiah? Well, thank you, Corey. I'm doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day and it's a Friday, so that's always helpful. Yeah, definitely can't beat it. Um, I know you guys have your hands full up at the state house. It's uh, definitely uh, definitely a mess. Th- this is what term for you? This is your se- third? This is actually my fourth term. So I'm now, uh, I've now been in about seven years, so definitely a privilege to serve. Very thankful for the opportunity and um, can't say enough about how awesome my my district is you know just great people and um i'm you know i have one of the probably most conservative districts in the state um i think it was the second highest vote total uh that trump got in the state (laughs) well over 70 percent of the vote so very um very privileged to represent you know the the northern spartanburg area northern spartanburg county um beautiful countryside and um freedom loving people and uh, so I try to do my best to represent those values. I th- yeah, I, I definitely think that uh you do. I mean, I think that's obvious being elected four times. <laughs> I think the people agree with you. How how let me ask you before we uh discuss the the bill that we're here to talk about, which is I think an extremely important bill, you know, it's not it's not necessarily one of the bills that's getting a lot of attention, but I do think it's a really important one. But I want to ask, how does this session compare with your with your previous sessions? How do you see kind of the dynamics of how things are working in the state house right now as compared to previous uh your previous sessions? <laughs> well, that's a that's a big question <laughs> to answer. Yeah. How much time you got, you know? Ugh. Um, I, I think it's, there's pros and cons, you know, when I first got to Columbia, um, there was really just a tiny handful of us that were, that were trying to stand up for real reform of the system. And, um, you know, there's always been something of, you know, the establishment governing coalition of establishment Republicans and Democrats that vote together and pretty much they do whatever they want. Um, and then you've always had a, a small handful of, um, you know, 10 to 20 conservatives. But then you have an even smaller group, it seems like, of um, 
of, of fighters, right? People that are really willing to really take a stand and try to press the issue, move the Overton window as, as I know you like to talk about. Yeah. Um, and we're at a place in our country where we're, you know, we've got to be serious about that. We've got to push these issues and, um, and, and oppose, you know, the, um, these, you know, big woke corporations and, uh, and stand up for our liberty. So we are, so I feel like at the beginning when I was elected in 2016, it, it was just entrenched. There was really nothing that you could get done because, um, you know, I just pushed the red button, you know, voting no quite a bit. Right. But, um, but over time, uh, and I've gone across the state to try to speak, try to um, encourage good conservatives to run for office. And I think the people of South Carolina are stepping up to the plate. And over the last few years, we've seen more and more representatives come down to Columbia um, who, who want to fight and want to make a difference. And so we're seeing um, a lot more become possible than has ever been. And so now we've got the Freedom Caucus that's officially um, established, you know, as a, right. as a team to both hold each other accountable and then strategize together and try to try to get some things done. So um, so that's been encouraging. And um, I think we're seeing a shift slowly but surely um, because we're seeing a shift in the expectations of the people of South Carolina um, to, to really hold their representatives accountable. So I'm, I'm encouraged. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that that shift, you know, a lot of people kind of have this idea that the people they elect are the ones who will lead the charge or uh, or fix things for them. When really, I think you just you just kind of alluded to it right there. It's really the people getting involved that uh, that leads to uh, putting more responsible statesmen and stateswomen in positions of power that and that's how you actually make the change rather than just hoping that your representative will uh, do the right thing without being uh, spoken to or have emails sent, et cetera. So right. that's really cool. And normally, and, and something that I like to talk about is that leadership normally will be bottom up, right? You can lead top down, um, but especially in our system, right? It's we, the people, it's, it's the, the public is supposed right. to let their voices be through the representatives. And so a lot of times leadership is, um, we, we sort of get it backwards. And so I think the more that people take initiative and, and like you said, that we don't need to not just depend on somebody else to do the right thing or sort of outsource our activism, but, but we need to get in the habit of stepping up to the plate and letting our voice be heard. And, and of course, voting, but also, you know, contacting legislators consistently, even coming down to the state house, you know, right. when there's important issues, the more that we can do of those sorts of things and be visible and and talk like what we're doing right now, you know, on social media, um, on, you know, whether it's letters to the editor, uh, if anybody does that anymore, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, taking up letter. those sort of civic engagement um, leadership efforts is is what does change things. And um, it's slowly but surely, you know, it's a long game, it is. but, but the more that we can get the people engaged, I, I just believe that that's the key. So I think that you touched on something important, which is that the people have to act. That's what brought me to reaching out to you to talk about this bill. I've seen uh, that the bill is uh, H4246 and mm -hmm. 
it speaks to something that's extremely important. We've seen the the legislature at the federal level, especially, just completely give away their power. You know, whether it's uh, actually passing laws, they've given uh, legislative power to bureaucracies. And when it came to COVID, they gave a lot of their power up to international agencies and national, mm-hmm. CDC and WHO. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So this bill is is meant to keep South Carolina from submitting to uh, the World Health Organization's recommendations if the Congress does not ratify the treaties that that they're putting forward. So, so explain yes. a little bit. Of, here's my here's my first question on this. So with this bill, is it to do I understand correctly that recommendations from the WHO should be regarded as potential treaties that the Congress needs to ratify? So, okay, so it's a great question. So a bit of background on on what's going on right mm-hmm. now with the WHO. So uh, at the end of February, a draft um, a draft of this new treaty was um, was put together uh, at the WHO World Convention that they were holding, and they they released this. So we now have the language, um, but it was the the WHO Convention and Agreement on Pandemic Readiness. And what they are trying to do is create a, a body of um, of language that would govern from an international level that would govern how nations of the world can respond to uh, a pandemic, to a health emergency. And so this goes beyond just what we saw in COVID. This is actually um, moving from national enforcement to international enforcement of um, of the kinds of COVID restrictions that you saw uh, during during the you know the COVID crisis, we we would actually be under the thumb now of the the United Nations and the WHO if this treaty goes into effect. Right. Okay. So so things and like the, and the rub is like they're not even going to try to get Senate approval. That's the thing here is that Biden is planning on just signing it by executive power. And uh, it's set up to where the the heads of of these nations, the executives of these nations, will just will just sign it into into law, quote unquote, uh, and expect you know the the countries to all uh, agree to it in that way. But in our constitution, we require that a treaty be ratified by two thirds of the U.S. Senate. So, in my mind, and I think to any logical thinking person, the this treaty that is being proposed. Um, will be void and of no force from day one. If that's how they, if that's how they go about it, it should be regarded as such because it'll be fine in the face of the Constitution as, as well as all of our American liberties. Well, yeah, abs- I mean, absolutely, and um, the 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 precedent of our way of life. I mean, this is not, this isn't like an add-on. It's not like in 1994, Bill Clinton put us into treaties that were never uh, ratified. You know, like that's this isn't this is kind of like a first of its a first of its kind thing, especially if you uh, if you take into account just how much of an effect this would have on the everyday individual. So can you give me some examples of uh, what the WHO treaty and the UN treaty, what what it would uh, what it would force 
on the citizens in this these uh you know emergency pandemic situations so yeah it's it's a little bit of a word salad is part of the problem and it's i think it's intentionally um vague it, it, it's intentionally vague on purpose but the the concept is to take the the sovereignty of the united states over you know who is making the decisions in the time of crisis to take the sovereignty away from the united states and give it to the who so that the who can move um move pieces that there's things that they talk about like uh border control should be mm-hmm. under the who um of course vaccinations you know is discussed um things like providing health care at the epicenter of uh where where you know people are getting sick so they're going to be very intrusive in terms of of having a un presence in countries and I think, though, that even beyond that, there's wording in there about equity, uh, about universal health care coverage mm-hmm. that is going to be uh, expected of these nations. You know, so it's really a full scale uh, framework for not just um, specifics about how to deal with a pandemic, but the sovereignty of how do we make decisions in the first place when there is uh, an emergency in healthcare. So it's, it's really broad and it's, and to me, that's even worse. It's even more scary because it's so broad in how it's worded. Yeah, absolutely. It basically will give American sovereignty over to a a, a European basically uh, or global bureaucratic entity. Well, I should say on that, you know, that, it's intended to be that way and they're not making any bones about it. Mm -hmm. I've got a quote from um, Patrick Stewart, who's a senior fellow at the council on foreign relations, a senior fellow in global governance, which, I mean, they're not even trying to hide it. That's what it's called. He's a senior fellow in global governance. Mm -hmm. And um, he writes that the WHO has a mandate that exceeded its capabilities during COVID. Um, In other words, the WHO is supposed to keep the world healthy, but it didn't have the power to do so. So what do we need to do? We need to increase the power. And he says that a big problem was member states insisted on independent action. Mm. In other words. Yeah, well, that's a problem. United Obviously, states, we can't have that. <laughs> right. No, we have to be <laughs> under the thumb of the WHO. Um, and he says that the the answer is a truly global response. That is what mm. they are looking for. They want a quote unquote, truly global response um, to future pandemics controlled not by it. us, but by them. And the and the power to enforce it. Yes. Which is which is what this particular treaty uh will give them is the power to enforce exactly. what they wanted to enforce. So they want to make the world look like New Zealand with the camps and and things yes. like that. Okay. Okay. Because it's a lot about and it, and that's exactly right. That going back to they want to you know, talk about movement of people over borders. It, it's it's about locking everybody down. That's what they wanted to do. Um, and and that's what this would try to impose for any sort of future, you know, again, pandemic that they yeah. want to come up with. You know, it's interesting. I, I know a lot of people don't don't remember this, but for the first maybe five or six months of 2020, that was a very scary time. And I think that it was followed by such a longer period of you know, a a battle that ensued that people forget just how effective the fear uh, was in in gaining control in the short term 
a treaty like this would ensure that that type of uh, control will remain and they, they won't. So moving on to this uh, to this specific bill. So this bill is specifically about that treaty or does this move forward into any of the treaties uh, like this? And, and what exactly does this bill uh, do for South Carolinians? So, yeah, so if I could just kind of give maybe a, a broad um, overview, 10,000 foot view of the bill, there's essentially four things that it's doing. So first of all, it has this statement of intent that the, the General Assembly intends that we will protect uh, South Carolina uh, against violations of the U.S. Constitution, and then that we will protect our American sovereignty in a greater sense um, from, you know, attacks, any attempt, I think the way I say it is an attempt to subject our U.S. sovereignty to the charter of the United Nations. Um, and and so that's the first part. The second part is that no unratified treaty, this wouldn't just be limited to the WHO, but any unratified treaty um, cannot be enforced by South Carolina agencies or local governments. So they would be stripped of any uh, authority to enforce this. And that's very important because they need almost like a backstop. You know, this is I see this not as an attack on anybody or on a you know state agencies, but as a way of saying, hey, we've got your back like don't enforce what the WHO is telling you to enforce. You go with what state law is and yeah. you go with what is in the Constitution and Bill of Rights, you know, and, right. and you don't go along with anything that Biden is telling you, uh, you know, is law by his decree. So so this to me should be something that that our state agencies and 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 local you know governments should welcome, in, in my opinion. Um, but so they can't enforce any unratified treaty if it didn't get the two thirds majority vote that the Constitution requires from the U.S. Senate, then something that Biden just signs with the stroke of a pen is not going to be accepted. And so we're not going to use any state personnel or state um, finances to fund um, okay. that sort of, a, of an enforcement. And we have that ability under the what's called the anti-commandeering doctrine, as written by Justice Anthony Scalia. With Matt Prince v. U.S., you know, very much a landmark Supreme Court case that uh, established this, and it's been upheld again recently with the Obamacare decision. And NFIB Sebelius um, discussed this a little bit, which is that the federal government cannot commandeer state personnel. They they can't okay. reach down and say, "Here's how you have to act." The states determine what we will and will not enforce, and how we'll use our own people. Um, the federal government can't tell us how to use a state employee or state funding. So that's a, the, maybe the very small piece of the 10th Amendment that still exists and the Supreme Court definitely still recognizes it. But it's a tool that we can use to at least say if if something happens that's not lawful, we're at least not going to participate in that. So that's the second piece of the of this bill. Uh, and it says that it held, that the prohibition on enforcing Unratified treaties will be expressly applied to uh, two places, the WHO convention slash agreement mm -hmm. uh, and to the international health regulations, because that's another way that they're trying to do this is by amending the international health regulations, which is also a whole nother U.N. thing. Right. Okay. So 
Am I making sense so far? You are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, for example, let's say that Biden signs this uh, agreement with the with the WHO. Uh, A new cold virus comes in and they declare it a a pandemic. Well, even uh, they're trying to declare climate change uh, a public health emergency. So, for example, they declare that. Uh, an emergency that requires WHO uh, intervention. Uh, and then they try and implement these standards that would essentially uh, can can run the gamut from disallowing us to get on cruise ships or disallowing me and you from traveling to North Carolina or Georgia, depending on whatever the WHO says is appropriate. We, as a state, if this bill were to pass, would both refuse to abide by those uh, those standards. And we would also not provide any personnel in helping them. So, uh, you know, you touched on that. I think that people need to kind of understand what that means. So like the FBI would not be able to uh, deputize SLED to enforce those rules, basically. That's right. Uh, DHEC would not be legally allowed to to enforce uh, the mandates of this treaty. What if they do, though? Yeah, great question. Yeah. So then so the the second two pieces then of the bill um, would deal with enforcement. And and it, it obviously we don't want just words on paper. Words on paper in some cases are better than nothing. But we do have some ways of. Of providing if they do so there's a cause of action that's established here um for for state agencies so if there is you know let's say that DHEC goes ahead and implements i don't know a vaccine mandate based on the who treaty you know because the who issued guidance saying that everybody needs you know their seventh booster shot or whatever mm, you know right very theoretical we would never encounter such a situation in real life of course sure but <laughs> no, never um so so let's say though that, that this happens well you could file a lawsuit against DHEC mm-hmm. DHEC would be subject to liability uh, up to ten thousand dollars per violation which is a, a kind of a standard thing that we're doing across the country mm-hmm. um you know to create the ability of citizens to sue which I think is a great development um that a citizen should be able to enforce uh, his or her constitutional rights. So that is something that this bill includes, and we can certainly tweak it and and make it more precise um, as needed. You know, I've I've heard some um, some thought that that it needs to be more narrowly tailored, which I'm open to that. But it's the concept of that if if that we need to be able to enforce, I think with us with a suit. If they are implementing provisions of the treaty that are that are illegal. And then fourthly, the burden of proof is on the agency to show uh, that their policies did not originate with the CEC, the WHO or the United Nations. So the so if that suit happens, they have to be able to show basically kind of a I don't know, a train of um a trail of how did they get to where right you know their reasoning was and not just oh you know joe biden handed us a piece of paper or you know we saw well, it on we the news that the WHO was 
yeah, but they have to be able just, to demonstrate they came up with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They so, have to be able to, and, and truly following the science. Why was it that they put their regulations into place? They have to be able to, to show that to the court. It can't just be, you know, oh, well, we heard it from, you know, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And, and there has to be some kind of a, a trail of evidence there. So the burden of proof is on them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that that's, that's really important because throughout 2020, 2021, 2022, geez, Louise, we, we were consistently met when we would, when we would uh, argue against some measure that they were taking, we were consistently met with, well, no, we we were just following we're just following the science but yes never, we're just following the guidelines yeah never did they have to prove why those guidelines were enacted where the, and now we're finding out of course that with the vast majority of these guidelines that we were it, it, they were always wrong always mm-hmm. wrong the masking the the social dance, distancing the vaccines everything it was just consistently wrong but they were able to say well we're just following the guidelines this would be a tool fighting against that type of uh that that type of thing i guess is that right that's right okay. yes we we've got to be able to to have some amount of objective reality you know applied to these kinds of emergencies you know and and otherwise you're going to see exactly what happened with covid just on a world scale you know to the degree that it was we were able to preserve some amount of freedom, you know, coming out of COVID. It's because we had that power at the the local and state level still to a large degree. But but this is trying to to not just nationalize but internationalize response to a pandemic, right. and um and it it's very dangerous if this was to to go into effect. Absolutely. So so how can we? Uh, when I say we, I mean the, the the citizens of South Carolina. How can we help this bill uh, become a law? Well, um, it's a little late on this year's session. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we've got, I think, six days left in the session. So, you know, we're not going to realistically get it through um, the, the legislature this year. Mm-hmm. But over the next few months, we can be talking about it. We can build momentum for this. Um, what I am hearing is that the the Biden administration expects to fully implement the the pandemic treaty by mid 2024. So, you know, it's good and bad. Like on the one hand, it's not implemented yet. Um, but on the other hand, it might just become old news and kind of slip in there when nobody's watching. And we can't let that happen. We need to start building the conversation and, and talking about um, the danger of this and the solution. And the solution is if we can use state authority through the 10th amendment through us sovereignty for that matter and just say we are we're standing in the gap and we're not gonna allow this to happen and then if if we will have that courage then i think we will be able to actually um preserve some amount of that freedom mm-hmm. for future generations because the the world health organization is i mean they're depending on cooperation right if, if we don't cooperate, it's to a certain degree a paper tiger, um, you know, until they get some sort of army or something to come, you know, like the which, CCP at that time, we will have bigger problems. Yeah. But right now, that's not the, that's not the case. You know, we can stand up to it. 
And so we, we need to do that. So, but in, in answer to your question of what can we do to, um, to get this bill moving again, the first thing going back to the, the people need to take leadership here, not, not wait for somebody else, you know, on a white horse to come riding in. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if we can start having those conversations, start generating the buzz about the issue, that's important. And then as we get closer to um, the next legislative session, again, in January, we're going to want to have committee hearings. We're going to need to talk to, you know, the Judiciary Committee members. Weston Newton is the chair of the committee. So when you'd be talking to him. Which um, committee is that? The Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary, Judiciary Committee is typically um, pretty liberal, I would say. I mean, you know, that that might be a offensive to certain people. But um, I, I think that it is accurate that there's a lot of folks that are um, that are not conservative on the Judiciary Committee. And so they need to be encouraged and and shown the legal reasoning behind this. I mean, this is very this is very reasonable. It's not some wild so. thing we're spinning you know, out here. Um, it, it's got firm uh, grounding, I believe. So we need to present that. And then we're going to have rallies. We're going to have events, you know, uh, and and we, we need people to show up to those sorts of things and, um, you know, demonstrate their support. So all of those things, you know, are part of the mix. And um, I just hope that we can count on the the people of South Carolina to have our back. Those of us that are sponsoring this, this mm -hmm. piece of legislation and and sort of be the wind in our sails, because we're going to try to make those connections and, and work, you know, the political scene to 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 push for this bill but um you know we've got to also know that this is something that that you all are going to be supporting and and getting behind or else it's really not worth it because we're outmanned and outgunned still um, yeah. until we get a couple more election cycles hopefully and we can be you know a little more um a little stronger in numbers but if, yeah, I but, think it's, I think a lot of so, it will have to do with uh, making the argument in, in a coherent way, because basically what what this is, in, in my mind, is the executive unilaterally deciding to join uh, to, to sell out the sovereignty of the United States uh, to to an international committee and bureaucracy. And and completely disregarding the Constitution, uh, the the other co-equal branches, and the people of his own of his own nation, and I think that making the making the argument in that way, it's very hard to argue against because the, I don't that is de facto what is happening here. Uh, he mm -hmm. is signing away the sovereignty of the United States of America to the World Health Organization and the United Nations, and. Uh, and that's that's a very scary situation to to really uh, that's a it's a it's a scary precedent, right? Because if if they do it for some undefined health reason, then they can do it for anything. So I think that you're right when you say that this is this is something that that we really need to focus on for the next session. Thankfully, it'll be mid twenty four. Who even knows if he'll make it to sign that? But We'll um we'll definitely keep an eye on it, and you let us know what, what we can do down here in the Low Country to 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 kind of help keep this on the radar. Um, yeah, and we'll and we'll do that. We'll I do will, we and can. and I if I can say one other thing about sure. as people are um are discussing the issue, one of the comments that I've gotten in the state house so far as I've you know raised the 
the idea and and I actually already have heard from um, some representatives that um, that aren't signed on to the bill yet that have heard from their constituents that they'd like them to support it. So I'm, I'm thankful whoever you are out there that's making calls. Thank you for that. But one of the representatives came to me and said, well, um, is this really an, an active issue? You know, isn't this kind of something that that isn't really in place yet? And I said, well, it's well, it is in place. I mean, it we have the draft language of, of what they're trying to accomplish from uh, from February, that summit with the WHO. And and Biden has said that he's going to do it. It's just on it's just waiting until 2024, you know, for them to sort of, I guess, get buy in to, right. to, to do it. And but this gentleman, he you know, he he was. I think he was trying to find reasons not to support it, but he basically ended up saying, well, we just need to wait until we see the final language until it's implemented and, and then we'll do something. Well, that is not the way to, um, to fight this battle. In my opinion, I don't think we need to be back on our heels um, waiting because once something does go into effect, now all of a sudden it's federal law, you know, well, we can't do anything about, you know, about federal law. And now you're all of a sudden going to hear the other arguments that, well, now we can't do anything yep. because, you know, you know, this issue has already been uh, enacted right now. We have an opportunity to push back on something that there's no argument to say that this is something we have to abide by. We can, we can, as a state push back, and, and be completely confident in saying we're, we're going to stand our ground on this. We're not opposing federal law. We're not opposing even a treaty that has been, you know, by any measure ratified. It's it's unratified. That's by definition what we're addressing in the mm -hmm. bill. And so this is a unique opportunity we have to say we're going to stand up for American sovereignty and for, you know, the U.S. Constitution. So let's let's do that and and not allow um, us to to be ourselves to be diverted and and think that well we've got to see the final language because that's an argument that's going to come up that right. that well we can't really oppose this until until biden you know officially announces it well understand as soon as biden officially announces it now your opportunity your window of opportunity is probably actually gone and and so we need to take a stand and go on offense today Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, the only way to stop something like this from happening is is to preempt it. I, I don't it's definitely a disingenuous argument in my mind to say, well, we have to wait for them to we have to we have to wait for the camps to be built and and we got to wait to be, you know, put into them before we can complain about them. It's like that's that's an yeah, we got to wait for the train to, to... <laughs> argument, isn't it? I yeah. mean, is, is that not we have to wait? What do you mean we have to wait until our sovereignty is given over to a, a globalist bureaucracy before we complain or try and stop that from happening? That doesn't make right. any sense. I think right. you're right that that person was looking for reasons. But that's, you know, that's a great point. Conservatives, this is one of our biggest flaws is that we always wait until it's far too late to fight. And I think that's why you guys, so many of you guys uh, take so much flack because you don't wait until you fail to uh, start fighting. It's such a crazy world, man. Ugh. Okay, man. Well, hey, I, you know, I appreciate you uh, joining us and kind of explaining what this, uh, what this bill has the potential to do. And you let us know uh, what we can do to help you. Thank you, Corey. Well, course, I man. appreciate your stand and, 
just um, and, and thank you for your understanding of the issues and and just continuing to shine the light where it needs to be shined. Um, not everybody's willing to, to do that. And so thank you for um, being willing to, to tackle these things. And um, hey, let's keep pushing back and fighting for our freedom. And uh, we'll look forward to continuing in that fight together. I appreciate you. So there you have it. I, uh, I hope that you will join Josiah and other members of, uh, of the state house and myself in doing everything that we can to get that passed. Now, the next interview we had, of course, was with Brett Berry of the American Heritage Association, and they've been doing a lot of work founded in Charleston uh, to protect the history of the United States. They're working on different bills that will ensure education in history in our schools is, uh, is taught correctly and accurately, which is certainly not happening right now. Brett and I spoke about a, a resolution in Charleston County that you would think would be extremely easy to pass. This resolution was simply a recognition of George Washington <laughs> as our first president and founder. We're coming up on the 250th anniversary of the United States of America's founding. Uh, this is our first president, and uh, Councilman Larry Kabrowski put up a resolution to honor George Washington. It turns out that he could not even get a second for the motion of a resolution. Now, they pass resolutions all the time. I think a, a week or two later, after they refused to put forward this resolution recognizing George Washington, they put one forward and passed a resolution that recognized the uh, Welfare and Human Services <laughs> Department. So it was a very shocking development that county council members in the United States of America thought that recognizing George Washington with a resolution was too touchy of a subject. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation that Brett and I had, and I really hope that this is not the future of our nation. How are you doing, man? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? Uh, you know, another beautiful day in South Carolina. You do a lot of really good work, actually. Can, can you just tell us a couple of the things that you guys are working on right now? Sure. Well, the American Heritage Association, we were founded in Charleston, and our mission is to protect our, our national memory at a very high level and uh, appropriately founded here in Charleston since this is really a center of American history here. And we have so many visitors that come to learn about our country that's important that we protect the integrity of, of our history. So we take that very seriously. And some of the efforts that we're involved in um, right now, we have a lawsuit against the city for the removal of the Calhoun Monument that we've been working on mm -hmm. uh, with, with the plaintiffs. Uh, we have legislation uh, that we worked with Representative Kathy Landing on to uh, restore real history education in our schools. Unfortunately, uh, we found out that the folks that are writing our history standards in South Carolina, many of them are open proponents of critical race theory and other extremist viewpoints. It, it's shocking that in a deep red state like this, that the left is in control of education. You know, you wouldn't have Hillsdale College in charge of education in California or New York. So why is it happening? You know, the opposite happening here. It's just it's just shocking. So monument protection yeah. and uh, history education, the integrity of it. History, that, that really is a, a huge problem in South Carolina, which, like you said, you wouldn't think 
it would be that way. It's just that people, the people who should have been paying attention, it seems took their eye off the ball for a long time. And so that's why organizations like yours have to exist now to kind of try and correct that, uh, that those missteps. And well, I always say that, that we don't really lose battles. We just forfeit them. And I'm not, I'm not talking about AHA. I'm just talking about in, in general. Um, if you don't put people on the field, you're going to lose every time. And I feel like a lot of these battles are lost because there was no fight on the other side. And that's why we created American Heritage Association and make sure we always have somebody on the field to push against this stuff. Right. So, well, to that, to that end, that's why I wanted to talk to you today. There's one of these battles that is, it seems like something on its surface that would be so simple and so easy taking place in Charleston County, uh, South Carolina, where a motion was made to, to push forward a resolution honoring George Washington, the founder, the first president under the constitution and the motion was made by one councilman and initially it was seconded and then something happened and debate ensued. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, it was, it was very shocking to see. Um, it, it, it was seconded uh, and then the second was withdrawn. So the, the motion to, to adopt the resolution to honor Washington uh, failed because it failed to get a second, never went to a vote. Mm-hmm. And initially there were some objections that it was historically inaccurate. Um, I don't, you know, I've reviewed the resolution. I didn't see any inaccuracies. There could have been some additional uh, color added to it. However, uh, I think the real motivating factor goes back to this, the, this woke movement it was really an effort to throw it off track. It was not a sincere effort, I don't believe, to improve the resolution because the sponsor of the resolution gave those that objected to it an opportunity to amend it and improve it. And there was nothing offered. So that signals to me that it was more of a tactic to to throw the resolution off than it was to have a legitimate concern because historical accuracy is always important and uh, we wouldn't object to anything along those lines. But you always have to be mindful of what the underlying motivations are. And you can never know for sure, but you have to make those judgments based off of what you see. I actually think that in this case specifically, you can make an argument that it wasn't in good faith. Because what happened, and we're going to play uh, some of the meeting in the uh, in this interview. Mr. Middleton, he, he said he, he made a reference to one of the sentences in the in the resolution where it talked about George Washington uh, having struggled with slavery and then freed the slaves upon his death. So after uh, Middleton made his concerns known, uh, Larry Kabrowski, he said, okay, well, let's take that out and I'll remake the motion. Let's take that sentence out. And then Middleton was like, no, that's not enough. Uh, In paragraph seven, it says President George Washington struggled with the institution of slavery throughout his life and at the end of his life made the decision to free all the enslaved people he owned, making him the only president of the nine who owned slaves to do so. I'm struggling with that paragraph. As we look at, you know, this whole uh, enslaved um, conversation that we really need to have at some point. And 
uh, those who participated, profited, and were enriched as a result of enslavement in America, we find that in January 1st, uh, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation was made in America 64 years after the death of George Washington. I'll take that paragraph out, but I'll redo the motion if there's a second for the proclamation without that particular sentence. In. Mr. Karofsky, uh, does that mean you're, you're uh, withdrawing your motion and uh, or you, you want to withdraw well, your motion? And then, Mr. Orman, we, would you, with, you withdraw and do you... Re I'll remake it and just excise that one. It with it, with yes. the historical context, correct it. Well, this without sentence taken out, with the right. same resolution sure. without that sentence in there, because that's not the point of the resolution for that issue. So I have no problem with taking that out. Still a second? Uh, no, I don't think I can second it on those conditions. I mean, so I, I will say I was aware that there were some um, accuracy issues with that sentence. I'd spoken to a couple other council members who'd, who'd had some issues there. Listen, another council member who may be speaking shortly took the perspective that maybe we shouldn't be getting into all of this at all, which I'm becoming more and more convinced of minute by minute. But, um, you know, look, I think, I think it is, it is fair to, to have resolutions like this, but I do think that in a city that has deep ties to slavery, um, we, we need to have that acknowledgement in there. And, and to the extent it can be made accurate, um, I could consider supporting that, but if we're just taking it out, I can't. I can't second that. No. Well, again, I'd respond. My point is not to get in that controversy. It's to honor George Washington, Mr. Chairman. Okay, go Mr. ahead. Nebraska's out of order because other folks got to speak. I just think Presidents Day cover all the presidents, not just one. Now, if if if, all, if forty-five other presidents had their own separate day and Mr. Washington didn't, then you know that's something I can look into. But that's why we call it President's Day, because you serve, you celebrate all the presidents, not just one president. So for that reason and that reason alone and, and out of wisdom and vision, what I see coming down the road from being there for quite a while, you're going to open up a Pandora's box. You know, somebody could come in and say, well, I want to celebrate, you know, uh, Joe Blow. I, I think anybody acting in good faith would say, well, that proves that it's not about that sentence. It's about you don't want this to happen. And then that that was echoed by a couple of the other councilmen when they were saying, you know, this, no, we can't do this at all because some people don't think that George Washington is the founder of their country. Can we allow Mr. Boykin? Yes, sir, Mr. Boykin. I'll be brief. Mr. Boykin. Mr. Braska, I think your intentions are honorable. Um, uh, while many Americans uh, see President Washington as the father of our country, I don't know that African Americans see George Washington's father of their country. You know, we, we, we have a very uh, intertwined history, and we all don't look through the same lens. We all don't have the same experiences and perspectives. And I don't think there's anyone here um, that's coming from a place other than doing what in their heart that they feel right. And So I think that the sentence in question like you said, I, I don't think that it was really what their issue was. Is that fair to yeah. say? Uh, uh, yes, that was my analysis. And, um, you know, that's why I don't like to get, get hung up on, on what I view as kind of traps. The, the language that was used was that he made a decision at the end of his life, which is accurate. But if, you know, if somebody wanted to add the additional 
information uh, around the story, mm -hmm. that would have been fine to clarify um, how it was actually carried out. Um, but that was not that was not suggested. And then you had other uh, council members say, well, we have President's Day. What are we even doing this for? But then, of course, you know, a couple of weeks later, they have uh, resolutions where they're honoring the federal wel welfare funding programs and everything else under the sun. But uh, when it comes to the father of our country, all of a sudden it's uh, why are we even dealing with this? That's uh, touchy. That's a touchy issue. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that was you know, one really of my questions. In, how how, how um how often does that county council put forth resolutions like this? These very simple resolutions are just acknowledgments, basically. There there's no funding, there's no money involved, there's no. It's just we recognize X. Yes, they how, they, they do it all the time. All political bodies do that. Um, it's just you know normally something nice for the community or to recognize folks. It's done all the time, and. You know, I had people say, this is just a piece of paper. What are you all worked up about? And while it is just a piece of paper, I think the fact that it doesn't pass or it failed to pass is just scary. Yeah. It, 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 it's saying that we can no longer honor the founding father of our country. Uh, while many Americans uh, see President Washington as the father of our country, I don't know that African-Americans see George Washington's father of their country. And it shows a total lack of patriotism um, and pride in our country. Uh, not everybody's perfect. I mean, humanity was has been very cruel throughout the ages, especially when you when you start going back a couple hundred years. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's still cruel today when you look at you know the the issues of abortion. That it just blows my mind that that stuff is still taking place today. But that's right. a topic for for another day. But it's just. Uh, you know, you have to take certain things into consideration and, and what we're being asked to do uh, by by a voice in the community is to throw out literally our country with the bathwater, our founding fathers. And um, if we throw out our founding fathers and what becomes of the documents they wrote? And I think that is the real underlying drive, not behind people in, necessarily in the community, but through the people that are leading these nationwide efforts. I think that's what's at the root of it. Um, it becomes this Americanism versus Marxism battle and individual freedom, individual rights, economic freedom, limited government, all the things that these people fought for are in direct contrast with what um, the far left is trying to do. I think I think that that's uh, undoubtedly the case. I think that so so many of us on on the the right to the right of center. Uh, have have proven that beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's there's some type of ulterior motive when they try and stifle the Second Amendment and now the first when they talk about the Constitution as a living document and being able to revise and rewrite it without and and reinterpret it um, without going through the constitutional processes and, and Washington Washington in his farewell address warned about all of this. You know about attacks on the Constitution through through manipulation and interpretations. I mean, it is a living document in the sense that there is a method for amending it. The right. fact that they they put a process to change it means that it's not supposed to be changed unless that process is used. That's yes, exactly. So they take they take the word and they manipulate it to mean something else. This um, you, you're right. I have heard a couple of people say, uh, you know, why are you upset about this? It's a piece of paper. But it's like, can't 
that argument, first of all, can be brought right back to the other side, especially when it's a process so easy. What are you what are you upset about? It's just a it's just a resolution. It's just a piece of paper. And you're right. It's not about the piece of paper itself. It's about, you know, we're coming up on the 250th anniversary of the United States of America, the founding of a country that changed the world for the better. Uh, the birthplace of them in the modern era of of individual liberty. This is it's no small thing. And to have people who are elected officials who wouldn't have their positions, their wealth, their their liberty, if it weren't for the founding of this country uh, and people like George Washington, to have them just discard that is very concerning to me. And I I wish that there was a way to show people the principle behind what they're doing and why it's so important. How can we, how can we help get this past one? And how can we, how can we make this, this argument clearer to people? How important it is. I think the people get it. Um, And really, I think we're going to end up getting the resolution passed. I don't know that for sure. You know, in politics, you have nothing until it's done. (laughs) Things can look good and go go the wrong way at the last second. But I I, I think, you know, the people, uh, which a lot of the credit goes to them. I mean, we can only do so much. We can notify people and keep people informed just as as you do. But it's really up to the masses to uh, take time out of their day and go weigh in on these things. And I think enough of them have that uh, county council, at least enough members say, hey, we, we need to do this. It's just a shame that people have to take time out of their day in order to get people to honor George Washington. I mean, <laughs> is that where we are? And, and, and it is. And so, you know, while I, you know, I've been a lifelong you know, Republican uh, in my private life, but political parties are not going to save us from this. Um, there's a lot of good people in political parties, but it's going to take participation of the average person. You can't just go and vote and say, I've done my duty. That doesn't work anymore. And when you see the sacrifice that Washington did for this country, I mean, he was a wealthy man. He could have been fine living under British rule. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looked like he was probably not going to be successful. I mean, it was the greatest military uh, power at the time, England, against, you know, essentially a, a group of farmers, largely. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he did it. And he could have been king. And he walked away from power. And how many people are there to lead like he did and then to walk away from power like he did? And the fact that we can't muster a few votes to, to recognize him with a piece of paper is just, it's, it's disgusting. But that's where we, that's the world we live in today. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, I, I really do hope that, uh, that this does move forward because if it doesn't, it it says something I think very frightening about really where we are, especially in Charleston County. I mean, you know, one of the most important cities of the revolution, one of the most important cities of American history. It just seems so, seems like something you would never think could be possible for, for this to be a question. Uh, how can people reach uh, the American Heritage Association and sign up and uh, get your emails and things like that? Sure. You can, uh, you can go to uh, AmericanHeritageAssociation.org and you'll be prompted to sign up for an email list. And, and don't worry, we don't, we don't blast out a bunch of emails 
we're not really a, a traditional historical organization. We're not going to send notifications of this is the anniversary of X, Y, and Z. Okay. We are action oriented. You're going to get a notification that a bill's been introduced that's important, um, an, an action item to call this person to make sure a vote gets taken, uh, takes place. Uh, it's those types of emails, and you may get two in a week, and then for the next three weeks, you get nothing. We okay. want you to open those emails. So we only give you the important stuff, and you, you can keep up the speed. And we try to make it easy to participate. Um, we create form letters. We give you the email. Uh, we try to make it easy because we know people are very busy. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I'm signed up, so I get your emails too. And that's true. You don't, I, I don't get blasted at all, which is why when I get one, I, I open it. Cause I know that it's not spam like so many other, um, Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, um, absolutely. I mean, hey, it's I, very good board. Uh, I mean, we have members, uh, professors, uh, we have retired military officers, historian, government affairs, uh, professionals. So we've tried to put together a good team to, uh, to address these issues. Okay. Do you have meetings or, or teaching? Uh, we know? have, we normally have one or two fundraisers a year, but we're okay. looking at really reaching out to the public more and having public meetings and, and some more uh, historical type events to get, to get people more involved. Uh, we've, we've basically been kind of like a, a little gorilla, gorilla force right? Uh, work, working on issues. Uh, but uh, we, we really want to start reaching out to the public and getting them more involved because I know there's a desire out there. Mm-hmm. So that's one of our goals for the next year. Well, let us know uh, if there's anything we can do to, to help. And I'd also like to maybe have you back sometime to talk about this, uh, the integrity and history bill that, that you guys yes. are talking about for school. And you said you're working on that with uh, Kathy Landing. Yes, Representative Landing and uh, also collaborated with the Charleston chapter of Moms for Liberty on that as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Another great organization. Um, Just they're out there getting the job done. And taking punches (laughs) for it, for sure. Well, you know, like they say, when you're taking flack, you know, you're over the target. That's That's what they tell us. Oh man. Okay. Well, Hey, I, you know, I really appreciate everything that that you've done. I mean, it's, you've been working on this, these types of things for a, a few years now and we've seen you, we've seen you guys doing it and really do appreciate it. Somebody needs to stand in that gap. And, and, and Corey, we greatly appreciate the work you're doing, getting the word out there, spreading the message and shining the light on a lot of these, these important issues. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Hey, thanks. You take care. So there you have it, guys. Uh, we really have our work cut out for us when it comes to uh, trying to both ensure the, the, the continued sovereignty of the United States and when it comes to winning this culture war that so many conservatives either refuse to acknowledge is even happening or even if they do acknowledge it so many of them would rather throw stones at one another uh, or remain silent and not show up to the actual battle things are not going to get better there's no savior in the legislature there's no silver bullet for any of these issues and if we don't each individually stand up and do what we can whether that's sending emails, making phone calls, showing up to protests, uh, reading through bills and, and trying to get the good ones through to become law or keep the bad ones from becoming 
law. There's so much that we can do. And of course, it's easier to tear things down than it is to build something that is good and will last. And that's why I think the left wins a lot of these things because all they're trying to do is tear everything down. And I, I thank people like Brett Berry and Josiah Magnuson, among plenty of others, who are doing that, that really hard work. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight, and I really appreciate you joining us every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on BigPatriotRadio.com. Don't forget to sign up to uh, theovertonreport.substack.com and put your, put your email in there, and you'll get different emails about events going on, uh, exposés that we do, uh, and you'll also get these shows sent directly to your inbox. You can also follow me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Overton and YouTube, just search The Overton Report. Also on Twitter, at Overton underscore the. So thank you guys once again for tuning in, and I hope to see you next time on The Overton Report. <laughs>